Good evening and welcome to a Sunday night special here with Rich Politics. And my guest tonight is uh, familiar to many of you because he's a champion of Brexit. It is former MEP, uh, former MEP Ben Abib and the chairman of Unlocked. And what a day it has been. We were all waiting on the news whether we would be leaving the European Union without a deal or under WTO terms, as we call it, or a clean break Brexit. Unfortunately, Boris Johnson has got no spine and he's kicked the can further down the road and calling for further talks to go the extra mile. So, Ben Abib, thanks for coming on, Rich Politics. Great to have you on the show again. Great to be here. Well, today should have been a day of celebration, Ben. I should have been popping that cork and drinking and celebrating and talking about all the benefits of Brexit as a sovereign nation again. So, But unfortunately, that's not to be. Uh, What do you make of the news today with Boris Johnson kicking the can further down the road? Well, I'm very saddened by it. You know, I thought on Friday, I was getting all ready on Friday to eat humble pie because I, I thought the rhetoric had reached a pitch from which neither party could you know, withdraw and that we would get a no deal Brexit, which as far as I'm concerned is the best deal. And um, and then now here we are, another 48 hours later with the Prime Minister again. And I'm afraid I do see it as our Prime Minister buckling. I don't see it as the EU buckling because they never made any real threats. And I appreciate that both parties at Sunday evening would be the end of it. But it's our Prime Minister calling von der Leyen again, getting an extension. And you can only you can only assume that we're heading into something that Brexiteers like myself will not be happy with. You know, you can only assume that. And yeah, I mean, sorry, forgive me. I'm kind of lost for words because I'm so deflated by what's happened. Well, I mean, the the EU didn't seem to show uh, any compromise or or concessions actually around a number of key issues, fishing being the big one. You know, our coastal communities and our waters. And surely when we voted and many Brexiteers that I've spoken to over the years, and by the way, for our viewers, it's been over four years we've been waiting for this. Um, You know, we expected to take back full control, not partial control. And surely Boris knows that. He knows why he got a majority. Do you think that he's made a big mistake here and and it's going to affect his premiership by not standing up to the EU that are clearly trying to bully him? Well, I mean, I, I think... I think Boris had all the moral high ground until the 23rd of January 2020. And the reason I say that Hmm. is that clearly the withdrawal agreement was negotiated when he had one arm tied behind his back, which was as a result of the EU acting in bad faith, conspiring with the forces of Remain in this country, conspiring with the Irish government to weaponize the Northern Irish border, forcing us into a really bad withdrawal agreement. And obviously my hackles were up during the general election, looking at that agreement, which he had championed as a fantastic oven ready deal, knowing that it was garbage. Um, But he won his thumping majority. Fair enough, that's politics. He won it on a deception, fair enough. But at that point, he should have ditched that agreement. And at that point, really all Brexiteers antenna should have been waving around like, Billio, um, you know, the warning signs were going off like red lights that this man isn't going to deliver a proper Brexit. Mm. And we've hoped and prayed all the way through since then that he will, you know, eventually pull a rabbit out of the hat. And every time, a bit like the grand old Duke of York, marching us to the top of the hill in our expectation, he's let us down and we've come deflated back down the hill. 
And every time he's done that, he's blown his credibility just a bit more with the EU. And to be fair to the EU, though, I've got no inclination to be fair to mm. them. What they're now demanding is nothing more than what he signed up to. You know, if you read the political declaration, it does say a level playing field according to EU laws, such as they are at the end of the transition period. It does say fixed fishing quotas. It does give the European Court of Justice a special role. It even commits us to military interoperability and considering signing up to PESCO. Mm. So all these things, PESCO, by the way, is the equivalent of NATO, the European right. Union equivalent of NATO. So, you know, all these things that he claims are not in the political declaration, are there as clear as daylight. Um, and the other disappointing thing, sorry to you know, continue on a disappointing note, but the other disappointing, the, the other disappointing note, Rich, is that last week, Michael Gove confirmed in the Commons that there will be a border down the IRC, that there will be EU state aid law applying in Northern Ireland. Thankfully, he's protected the rest of Great Britain but that's not the point. You know, the promise was, and remember, this is the Conservative and Unionist Party. Yeah, the promise right. was the entire United Kingdom would leave the EU Customs Union whole. That there wouldn't be this border down the Irish Sea. That he promised businesses in Northern Ireland that if anyone asks you to produce any form of declarations or anything, you know, tell me and I'll put them in the bin. But, um, you know, we know that we've signed into this this wretched wretched northern irish protocol and it affects us in the united kingdom as a whole because the only way now that boris johnson can mask that border the only way he can hide it because he hasn't had the courage to ditch it the only way he can hide it is yeah. by lining us up closely with the eu so that no one really notices its existence and that's not what we voted for I wonder, Ben, I know that you've been very vocal about the withdrawal agreement political declaration for many years, and you've said it's the worst thing ever. I remember you saying it. And, uh, you know, of course, it still ties us into a number of issues that Boris is trying to fudge and trying to get away with it, as you've said. I wonder, what do you think the deadlock is? Do you think it is around the Northern Ireland Protocol or do you think it's to do with our fishing, uh, our laws, you know, with the change in regulations? What do you think the deadlock is? What do you think the fight is right now for Boris with the EU? Well, it's all a bit opaque, isn't it? Mm. Because they've done all of this behind closed doors without any form of democratic scrutiny taking place. We actually know the House of Commons, by the way, is not going to scrutinise this because Labour cannot be seen to vote for no deal. Mm. And, and we know that there's enough of a majority, therefore, on the Conservative side to see this deal through. So um, there's, the only democratic scrutiny that this deal could have received was from people like you and me. You know, it would have been people like you and me looking at the negotiations, trying to figure out what the hell is going on. And so they very cleverly left this till the last minute and kept it all behind closed doors. But I, I, I mean, I suspect that the disagreements have been fourfold on fishing, on EU state aid law mm. and the other laws that um, com comprise the level playing field um, and the European Court of Justice and governance of the agreement in general. Obviously, the Prime Minister doing the right thing back in September mm. when he brought the IM bill forward to try to neuter that border in the IRC has convinced the EU that we're not in good faith. And so I think their antenna now up that they've got to make sure they find a way to, you know, make sure they find a way to um, ensure the UK 
complies with its obligations. So I think they're probably, I can't know for certain, but I think they're probably negotiating around all these key issues still. And, um, and probably, Rich, we're slip sliding mm. away from a, what I would regard as an acceptable position to one where we are ceding control and we're ceding uh, our ability to really set an independent chart for the United Kingdom. I, I'm just wondering then, Ben, where, where does that leave those of us? And I've noticed today in particular, of course, in Sunday, across social media, which is the real world we know, but you get a general yeah. feel of the, the opinions of people, that people feel as if Boris is acted in a way that's been a complete sellout. For those of us who did vote for Conservative or may have lent our vote, have been Brexiteers from since 2016 and fought for a clean break Brexit all along. I certainly was one of them. How does is Boris able at this stage in the negotiations, although he's kicked the can down the road again, can he pull this back? Well, I, I mean, the, I think the only way to pull it back is with a no deal. Hmm. Uh, unless I've totally misread the EU and they are about to capitulate. But I, I see no sign of that. You know, it's not so easy for the EU to capitulate. For, for von der Leyen to capitulate requires her to really have had very close conversations with a number of members, heads of states, mm. you know, before she can move off that negotiating mandate that they set back on the 25th of February this year. And they've been very firm in what they require. They've been very clear from the beginning. And, uh, you know, there may be some wriggle room for her around the edges of it, but I think that they're insisting on some form of level playing field, some form of um, fixed fixed quotas, not annual shares determined by the UK at its sole discretion, but fish, fixed quotas for fish, and some involvement of the European Court of Justice to, as they see it, make sure the UK does what it promises to do. Ben, do you, do you think that a clean break is now dead in the water, given today's news? I, I, I think it's been dead in the water from the minute he signed that withdrawal agreement. Mm. But emotionally, I'm... I mean, I don't want to give up hope. I'm at 99% it's dead mm. and 1% hoping that it might trip into no deal. You know, that the, there's a bit of argy-bargy around the negotiating table. People get fed up. They throw their toys out of the pram and they go off in a half. Um, so I'm, ho I mean, I'm hoping. I'm still hoping. <laughs> I think we all are. <laughs> uh, how, how do you think this is going to affect the Conservative Party? I know we're a long way off from elections, but of course... You know, Boris has faced some rebellion within his own party on some of these issues. You know, some of his members wanted a deal of some kind. Some said they wanted a deal, but secretly they didn't, let's be honest. And yeah. some have been clear that they're happy to go for a clean break Brexit in the WTO terms. You know, where does this leave the Conservative Party? Now? I'm not going to talk about Labour because there is no opposition at the moment because they're, they're in a mess themselves, as you know. Yeah. Where does this leave the Conservative Party? Well, I think Boris's premiership is in the balance. I know people will probably raise their eyebrows when they hear me say that, but I think whatever he does from here on out is going to be judged either by Brexiteers like you and me as unacceptable or by the Remain faction of his parliamentary party as unacceptable. Um, I, I think he's between a rock and a hard place. He's promised everything to every side to get them mm. to this point. And he's going to be called out. So I think his premiership is in trouble, whatever he does. And I did write an article the other day saying, actually, the politically expedient thing for the prime minister to now do is a clean break. And I'm not just saying that for my own, for my, you know, getting my own agenda, yeah. uh, uh, you know, accepted. 
The reason I say that is that a clean break Brexit now allows him at least to say to the electorate that he delivered on the promises he made, particularly to those red wall voters that um, you know voted Conservative for the first time. And he's got four years, even though I don't think he's ready for no deal, by the way, I don't think they made adequate preparation, but he's got four years to sort that out. Mm. And um, if he doesn't make a clean break, it's gonna loom large over him and over the Conservative Party. Mm. And I think the challenge he will face is much greater and the challenge the Conservative Party will face will be much greater if they do a sellout. Well, we've heard during Wales uh, from the First Minister down in Cardiff Bay, Mark Drakeford, about you know uh, the devastation that uh, a clean break Brexit would cause if we left with no deal. And he's been quite an advocate for that. But of course, there are Remain uh, Party, the Welsh Labour Party here in Wales. And of course, many people were concerned about the, the preparedness of the country when it came to leaving with no deal. I wonder, what do you think about the fact that maybe Boris is, is extending these talks to give us more time to prepare for a no deal? That might still be a possibility, don't you think? It might be. I think chances of that are even less of us getting a clean break. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm holding on to hope then, am I? Am I dreaming too much, Ben? I'm trying. I think that's a real dream. You know, if this prime minister, if this prime minister was serious about no deal preparations, we would have known about them right at the beginning of this year. Um, we, you know, one of the things I've, I've launched, as you probably know, Rich, is something called Brexit Watch. And yeah. we've produced a Brexit barometer. And one of the 10 items on the Brexit barometer is no deal preparedness. You know, how well are we prepared for mm. no deal? And there's a lot he could and should have done. Mm. He should have had grant schemes ready for exporters. He should have been ready to levy tariffs on the EU he should have been ready to support our exporters in case tariffs are levied on them. He should have put in place schemes to smooth the ability for those manufacturers who've got supply cycles tied up in the EU, mm. you know, some kind of low cost loan scheme so that they could hold on to stock for longer without having their profitability impacted. He should have made it clear to the agricultural sector that some form of subsidies would continue post our exit. He should have made it clear to the universities that some form of subsidies would follow after our exit. He should have made it clear that the money that we were saving off the 18 billion a year was gonna to go towards cutting VAT, cutting corporation tax, cutting a, a tax on, on fuel. He should have made it clear that we were going to ditch these regulations and he should have stipulated what those regulations are so that businesses in this country would know that come the 1st of January, they would be operating in a much more business-friendly environment. Mm. He's done nothing of that. Mm. I've seen recently some mention of supporting our agricultural sector as yeah, well I, as some of our gonna, exporters. I was going to ask you about that because you, you tweeted something, uh, an article in the Telegraph uh, a few days ago, I think it might have been yesterday, that uh, it, with a no deal, there would be billions of pounds available for farmers and factories. So there are benefits of a no deal, which we know about. Oh, but but oh, for, for some for some reason, <laughs> Boris is committed to this idea that well, certainly he has, and he's listening to the scaremongering stories, you know, of all these ideas of businesses going, investments not coming into the country, food prices going up, food standards, loss of jobs, it's all, all it's all, all the garbage. Crap. It is. It's all the crap we heard during it's the referendum. Yeah. Uh, you know, and what Boris could have done, he could have made, he could have played a huge part in in really bouncing back on the economy and businesses and investment by coming away with a no deal bend. Don't you think? 
Uh, absolutely. And, you know, let's not underplay the benefit that business and people in this country would have got by cutting mm -hmm. regulations. You know, every time you foist a regulation on a business, it has to incur a cost in order to comply with that regulation. And so if we'd gone for a derate, what we call supply side reform, so cut taxes, cut regulation, we would have been Singapore on Thames. You know, we'll never be quite a Singapore because they're a much smaller country. Yeah. But, you know, we could have been Singapore on Thames. And that frightens the willies out of the EU. Mm. And that's precisely what we should have aimed for. And with armed, with all those freedoms he would have got, he could have tackled the iniquities of the last 30 years, mm. you know, created as a result of the massive deindustrialization of the United Kingdom, for which there's been no post-industrial vision, you know, and... He, he should be pumping money into our universities, creating new R&D centers, yeah. getting ready for the new economy. He's talking about the green industrial revolution. But in my way, he's going about it the wrong way. You don't tell people ditch your petrol diesel cars in order to buy vastly expensive Teslas. You don't do it that way. What you do is invest money in renewable sources of energy to make sure that we have a, something that is genuinely a, a proper alternative to fossil fuel. And, you know, that's where his focus should be and generate jobs on the back of that. But, yeah. you know, he is doing a bit of that. But, you know, I, I think, Rich, look, there are two kinds of people in the United Kingdom. Mm. There are those who believe in the United Kingdom being able to govern itself and that it is a, a capable nation that can go forward independent of the supranational institution that is the EU. There's that lot of which you and I are part. Mm. And then there's what I call globalists. People who think that the only way that we can solve the world's problems is if more power is given to supranational institutions and not just the EU, but the WHO, the UN, uh, the World Bank, the IMF. They want these these institutions to govern us. They see them as as valid technocratic mechanisms for global governance. Mm. And they're basically anti-democratic because in order for these institutions to govern us, they have to take power away from individual states and hand it over to them. And I'm afraid that the vast majority of our political class are globalists. And I think Boris Johnson is a globalist. Yeah, I, 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 everything you've just said, I agree with. I was trying to find something I could disagree with there so I could come back <laughs> at you, but I couldn't because I, I'm, I'm exactly the same as you, Ben. I just wonder then, what, what is the future for us Brexiteers? I mean, there's a lot of us out there now, isn't it, right, across the United Kingdom, who probably tonight, and the viewers watching this uh, this evening, uh, we're watching it, you know, what, what, what can we say to them? What hope do we have of, you know, it ever being what we wanted it to be? And if it doesn't change, what should we do next? Not that you got the answer, Ben, but, you know, just to speak to the, the viewers tonight who are Brexiteers. Well, I think the most important thing is that we mustn't give up the fight. And I think what you're doing, Rich, what Talk Radio is doing, what I hope GB News will be doing once they're launched, what, what, what Unlocked is doing, is giving a voice to those of us who believe in the United Kingdom, who believe that we can be an independent, democratic nation, plying our own way in the world, not becoming little England or little Wales or little Scotland, but a combined United Kingdom engaging with trade partners across the globe and doing what we've done so well over centuries, which is to be an independent trading nation, not part of some conglomerate. It's not in our nature. So people like you and me need to continue to give voice to that. Mm. We need to continue to hold the government to account as best we can. 
And we need to call out the provisions of whatever agreement we're going to get if the provisions are bad and bring pressure on politicians to correct it. And I hope, what I really hope, is that a new political force will emerge over the next year or two. Mm. And that political force will either force the Conservative Party to become the Conservative and Unionist Party again, or that political force will gain seats in Parliament and challenge both the, you know, both the incumbents, Labour and Conservatives, and give this country a new independent direction. Yeah, well, well bef- before we go, because our time is almost up, Ben, it always goes quick, I know. I, I was going to say I've got to pop to the pub for a pint, but I can't because the pubs are not allowed to sell beer in Wales. That's another story altogether. Oh, my goodness. No uh, beer in Wales. No, no You must be getting homicidal. <laughs> <laughs> I know, it's dreadful. It's terrible. Thanks to the Emperor on a Cardiff Bay. Um, just, just quickly then, I want to pick up on that. There is space for a political party of some kind now, isn't there? We've got plenty of time for that to happen before the next general election. Surely there must be a lot. We know that people like Lawrence Fox with Reclaim and many others like the SDPs and all these. There's lots of these groups that have formed. Is Nigel about to do something? Is he going to come back and start something? Do you think that's on the cards? It's always a possibility with a good old Nigel, you know, as you, you know what he's like. I think there is yeah. space for something, isn't there? There's, there's, there's a gap there. And obviously, uh, the public feel there is as well. Yeah, I think the country desperately needs it. And Nigel could easily be the man. Um, it's difficult, I think, having stood down 317 candidates to get mm. back from that. And I know Richard, is, Richard and Nigel have renamed the party Reform Party. Yeah. And I really hope they succeed. I hope they go for it. Um, I hope they can garner support. It's not easy launching a political party with a view to gaining control of the agenda. Mm. You know, the Brexit party did so well because the nation was crying out for it. You know, remember, Brexit is a single issue movement. There was a movement and a feeling Mm. in the nation that democracy was being abused and it had to be put right. And the Brexit party answered that calling. We're in a slightly more amorphous, slightly more nebulous political climate at the moment. And we haven't really got that calling, that movement out of which a champion can emerge. Mm. But it will come. You know, we've just Mm. had the mother of all recessions, though we haven't had we haven't really felt the effects of it. Mm. And if Boris signs us into a deal which prevents us from being able to recover properly from the pandemic, because I think that close alignment with the EU will prohibit our ability to recover. It won't accelerate it. It will slow us down and prohibit it. And if that's the direction the prime minister takes his country, then I think that movement may just arise. And it may be Nigel, it may be Richard, it may be Lawrence, or it may be someone completely unknown that we haven't come across yet, who rises up behind that movement, grasps it, gets the nation's imagination, and can actually make a huge political difference in Westminster. Well, we could say Ben for number 10, eh? That could be a possibility, <laughs> couldn't it? <laughs> they said you That's seem to death knell. <laughs> well, you got my vote, Ben. Eh? We asked for sure, and probably well, many of the others you. watching the show as well. Well, Ben, listen, our time is up. Thank you, as ever, for coming back on the show. I know it's your second time on. I always appreciate talking to you. You're a wonderful man, and uh, I'm thankful for the friendship that we have. And I hope our viewers have enjoyed. Again, this Sunday night special here on Rich Politics. 
as you all know, Boris needs to grow his spine. And unfortunately, what we all hope for tonight didn't happen. But of course, we don't give up hope. We keep fighting for a better and brighter future for the United Kingdom. Catch you next week on Rich Politics. <laughs>